Okay, welcome. Glad you're here with us. And we're uh, in the second chapter of Philippians, beginning with verses 20 and going through 24, Lord willing, tonight. So glad you're here with us, and let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you again for the privilege of meeting together and studying your word. Lord, we thank you that your word abides forever. And you have said and revealed to us by your prophets, by your apostles, your will and your truth. And we trust you, Lord, for that. We believe that you have given us your word, that we might know you, that we might obey you, and that we might be living testimonies for you upon this earth. So, Lord, we thank you for this epistle that Paul wrote, and we uh, ask for your blessing upon us as we read and study it, that it would be applied to each of us by your Spirit. And we bless you for these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, I'm reading out of the uh, English Standard Version, ESV tonight. We're reading chapter 2. As we normally do, we read the whole chapter, so we try to keep it in context. Chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Messiah, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Messiah Yeshua, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Yeshua every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Yeshua Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Messiah I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Yeshua to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Yeshua Messiah. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Messiah, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we're going to begin with uh, verse 20, and just to remind ourselves, we were uh, we left in verse 19, uh, Paul was talking about Timothy, and about the fact that Timothy had 
was very much his fellow laborer. And we ended last week by reading this about Timothy in Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Messiah, just as I teach everywhere in every ecclesia or church. And then in uh, chapter 16, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians, Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. And now he goes on in verse 20 to continue to talk about Timothy and uh, to explain their relationship. He says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So this opening for uh, the Greek gar connects to the previous verse, giving Paul's own reasons why he has chosen Timothy as his emissary to minister to the Philippian community of believers. The overarching reason is that Timothy has proven himself to have both the spiritual maturity as well as the heart of a servant to minister to the needs of others and thereby to faithfully accomplish the mission which Paul had entrusted to him. So here we see the two primary characteristics of the believer who genuinely desires to serve others by encouraging them in their life of faith in Yeshua. And what are those? That they be proven and that their spiritual maturity would be well seen and that they are willing to serve to do a servant's duty to serve others. He says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Here Paul's words are those of a mentor describing one whom he had discipled. From a biblical viewpoint, when we speak of a person making disciples, we do not mean that the mentor primarily trains them to be and think like himself. I mean, they don't, they're not trying to, Paul isn't trying to clone himself. That would be an impossibility. All too often, I think, in, in times, there are those who are well-respected and teachers and so forth, and they look for someone to come alongside of them, and they teach them to be as they are. Well, in many ways, that's good. That's okay if they're doing a good job. But not everyone is gifted in precisely the same way. So what we need to do is we need to help raise up people within our communities and help them to utilize the gifts that they apparently have, that they clearly have, because of, of what they do well, and help them to do that well. So rather the goal of spiritual discipleship is constantly to point the person being discipled to Yeshua, so that he or she may become a true, maturing disciple of him, walking in his footsteps, having his perspective, that is his mind, in all matters of life, thus serving others with the goal that they would grow and mature in the faith and be enabled to disciple others as well. In other words, we're not trying to clone ourselves. What we're trying to do is make disciples of Yeshua. And even as each is gifted and given uh, different spiritual gifts and so forth and abilities and background and so forth, it will be that, that if they're going to be a teacher, as an example, that they will do it in a way that is natural to them, but they'll have to be trained so as to do it well. And we all know that there are certain things that a teacher can do that work well and things that a teacher can fail to do or may do otherwise that don't work so well. So we certainly can learn from each other as we're discipled. But again, my emphasis here is that when Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit, he's talking about the fact that Timothy had the same goals and the same perspectives, but he clearly was different than Paul and would have been uh, received in a, a way that was maybe different, or he may have different ways of doing things and so forth. That's fine, as long as it uh, uh, follows and matches what the scriptures say. When Paul writes that he had no one else of kindred spirit, he's not saying that he had only one disciple that he could trust, but rather that Timothy was the only one currently who was ministering to Paul in his present imprisonment who would be able to carry his message and concern 
to the community in Philippi. In other words, he said he's he is the primary one who's here with me and helping me, undoubtedly giving him food, getting him food and water and other necessities, as was necessary for someone who was in prison in Rome, because, as we mentioned before, the Roman government gave nothing to prisoners. As far as they were concerned, uh, it would be just fine if the prisoner died in prison, and many, many did, as, as far as we can understand. Now, obviously, there were some prisoners who had uh, relatives outside of the prison that were prominent and so forth, and that may have been a little different for them, but that wasn't the case with Paul. Apart from those who would minister to Paul and bring him necessary things for living in the prison, he most certainly would have died. So, Timothy was there, helping him, maintaining him, and now Paul is ready to send Timothy back to Philippi and hoping that he would follow as well, as we'll see. The phrase translated kindred spirit is one word in the Greek. It is usopsukao, uh, which is made up of the word isos, which means equal, and psuche, which means soul, and is found only here in the apostolic scriptures. This word is likewise only found once in the Septuagint, and that's in Psalm 54, uh, 14 in the Septuagint numbering, and it's 55.13 in our English Bibles, where David bemoans his son Absalom and the treachery he engaged in against his father. But it is you, a man my equal, and there we have the same word, isopsuke, my companion and my close friend. The Greek word literally means equal souled. It's the word soul put together with the same or equal. Uh, sharing the same soul or inner self. For David in the psalm, he is emphasizing that Absalom was his very family. That is, they had kindred lives, making his rebellion even more egregious, for he betrayed his own father. The question that confronts us in our text is whether Paul is referring to Timothy as being like him when he says that we're, we are equal-souled, <laughs> if we can be very literal. Um, if Does that mean that he is like Paul? Or does it mean that does Paul mean having the same life purpose, that is to be like Yeshua? Since the word was used in the Septuagint to emphasize that David and Absalom were both of one family, it seems most likely that Paul uses the word to emphasize that both he and Timothy were one in the family of God. In fact, he goes on to refer to, to Timothy as though he were a son. Paul speaks of Timothy in this way in a number of passages. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Messiah, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So, obviously, Timothy and Paul agreed theologically. That would only be what we would expect since Timothy was a disciple of Paul and Paul undoubtedly taught him from the Torah as well as from the uh, things that were being written in Paul's day and before Paul's day that relate to the history of, of Yeshua's uh, life upon the earth and so forth, what we know as the Gospels, at least uh, some parts of them or in some cases all of one. To Timothy... My true child in the faith, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1-2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Messiah Yeshua our Lord. So here, again, he's referred to as a true child in the faith. And then again, 2 Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my beloved son, literally child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Messiah Yeshua our Lord. And there's a similar phrase as that in 2 Timothy 2-1. So these all express a very, very close relationship between the teacher and his disciple. And I think it's one thing that we uh, sometimes miss in our modern society, is that one-on-one, -on -one, life to life, serving together and so forth. Uh, the more that that can happen within a community, the better. And uh, we all can do better in that than any of us are doing. I, well, I wouldn't say that. I don't know what everybody's doing. But we can always work harder 
at making disciples, helping others to grow in understanding their own spiritual gifts and what it is that they can do, where they fit in the ecclesia that they are part of, and how they can uh, do what God wants them to do. Unfortunately, a lot of people who uh, think they, they are the next teacher or something have a difficulty being dis- discipled because if somebody already has it in their vision what they know they are going to be or want to be, then unless they're moved into that position, they resist it. Rather, in a teacher-discipleship relationship, the teacher helps the disciple, or shall we say the discipler, helps the disciple to find where they really fit. What are their strengths and what are their weaknesses? And how can the weaknesses be overcome? And how can the strengths be utilized for the Lord? in the local assembly as well as in their family or in a wider context as well. So, Paul was good at this, as we can see, with Timothy. But Paul's words here also express that Timothy had clearly proven himself to have gained spiritual maturity and faithfulness, desiring to serve the Lord in the same manner in which Paul served him. The kindred spirit then, is both the desire as well as the needed maturity to serve others in the body of Messiah and to do so for their spiritual growth and to cause Yeshua to be lifted up and praised. Thus, when Paul pictures Timothy as having a kindred spirit, what does that mean? I think it means he is emphasizing that he had proven himself, Timothy had proven himself to be a true disciple of Yeshua, even as Paul was. It wasn't so much they were kindred spirits because they had the same personalities or the same uh, goals, uh, you know, personal goals and so forth and so on, or even that they were just able to be good friends. It's more than that. They were kindred spirits because they both had dedicated their lives to serving Yeshua in whatever way was possible for each of them. And that's... That's a real call upon us, isn't it? How are we serving the Lord by serving one another? What are we doing? And how are we lights of the gospel to others? Even now, in our time here, as we prepare for the coming uh, Moedim of Shavuot, what is one of the primary aspects of Shavuot? It is the ingathering of the final harvest, isn't it? It fits perfectly with the giving of the Spirit to the apostles and to the disciples in order that they may begin in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and go to the uttermost parts of the world. Why? Because now was the time for them to begin to unleash the gospel to the nations in fulfillment of what God had promised Abraham in your seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so, as we're centering here on Paul's relationship with Timothy as a discipler to a disciple, it reminds us that we have the same obligation. How are we disciples of Yeshua? In what ways are we telling others and showing others what it means to be saved from their sin? to worship and praise God and His Son Yeshua through the work of the Spirit and themselves to be lights for the glory of God. Well, he says, I don't have anyone else here that's with me who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. It is not uncommon in our fallen world that when a leader, in whatever capacity, is for one reason or another unable to carry out their leadership responsibilities, there will be those who see it as an opportunity to advance themselves. Rather than seeking to help the incapacitated leader, they selfishly seek the higher position for themselves. Could you kind of stop to think that maybe this, is, this was how some might have felt, knowing that Paul was now in prison? Paul was well known among the followers of Yeshua. 
oh, some might have said, this is the opportunity for me to rise and shine. Uh, looks like uh, Paul is going to be out of the picture. I can take his place. Well, I don't know if anyone actually said that. But one could imagine that when Paul was in prison, there were those who were thinking, okay, now I have the opportunity to rise up to popularity among those who are his followers. Because they're going to be looking for someone to do what he did. Well, that's the wrong motivation. What does Paul say of Timothy here? He says, I know have no one else with me who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, not for what he can accomplish and be praised for. In fact, anyone who seeks to minister to other people, anyone who seeks to be a leader of any kind in any place within the community of believers, they do that best if they see themselves as a servant of other people. So, on the contrary, Timothy had proven himself to be a true servant, not only to aid Paul, but also to be willing and able to serve others. Paul therefore expresses his confidence that Timothy would show genuine concern for the Philippian believers, taking on the role of a servant first and foremost for Yeshua, and thus for the Philippian community as well. Sometimes perhaps we lose sight of the fact that when we serve one another, we're doing so as the hands and the feet of Yeshua. He is the one who gets all the praise. We are his servants, simply carrying out with joy what he's given us to do. We see then that Timothy had proven himself to be put as a priority in his life what Paul emphasized earlier in this chapter in verses 3 through 4. He had shown himself to be a willing servant to others, that they might be encouraged and strengthened in the faith. We remember what, what Paul uh, exhorted us all at the beginning of this chapter in verses 3 through 4 in chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What is empty conceit? It's something that is built up within a person that has no substance. They think they're really wonderful. They think they've got it all together. When in fact they don't. They're conceited about something that has no basis. It's self-centeredness. Well, Paul says, don't look out for your own personal interests only, but also for the interests of others. Have others in mind as we serve each other. Seeing the emphasis that Paul puts upon spiritual growth and maturity, and seeing Timothy as an example of this, each of us should regularly take inventory of our own lives and how we are doing in terms of living out the very inspired words of the Scriptures which teach us to be servants of one another and to help each other to mature in the faith and to be witnesses for Yeshua. I know that's that's a lot. That's difficult at times. How do we take inventory of ourselves? Sometimes we need to have others help us. Where is something I need to change? What is something I can do better? What are things that I do well? And I should concentrate on those things. This must be the goal both in our individual lives as well as in our being part of a local community of believers committed to serve our Lord by serving each other. And if we could have that in mind, that when we seek to help one another, we're doing so as, and I can put it this, if I can put it this way, the hands and the feet of our own Savior. He is using us to accomplish some of His work in the lives of others. And that's not just for a few of us. That's for all of us who are in the Messiah. And this is why it is so important, and I think this is being undermined to a certain extent in our modern times. I'm not saying necessarily anyone here or any particular group, but across the board there's this idea that I really 
don't need to be together with people. You know, we can exchange emails, we can be online together, and that's fine. But there's something about face-to-face that can't be duplicated. And this is why if we do have the opportunity to be part of a community, to be part of a gathering of believers where we can genuinely worship and where we are genuinely fed the Word of God and so forth, then we ought to make that a priority in our weekly schedules. And we ought to see it as honoring the Lord. Now, the Greek word genuinely, he says that uh, um, Timothy has a genuineness, he's genuinely, who will genuinely be concerned, is the Greek word merimnao, a word that can carry several meanings in in its semantic range. It can mean to be apprehensive or to have anxiety, to be anxious, to worry needlessly. In fact, we find Paul using the word with this sense in chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Same word. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, on the one hand, the negative part would be to worry and to uh, needlessly uh, be apprehensive and have anxiety and so forth. But the positive side of this word is it can carry the sense of to attend to something, to care for something, to be concerned about someone or someone else. In other words, to put our energies in caring for someone else rather than caring about our own needs unduly. Clearly, this is the sense Paul is emphasizing in our current text. Timothy has proven himself over time to be genuinely concerned about the needs of others, even as he had given himself to care for the needs of Paul. He was a proven servant, and he genuinely cared about others. He made it his duty to help those who he saw needed help as best he could. He couldn't do everything. But what he could do, he did. The fact that Paul uses this same term in a positive sense, to be concerned about the needs of others, as well as in a negative sense, to allow anxiety and worry to control us, sends a clear message for us all. What will we allow to dominate our lives? Faith in God's all-controlling and all-encompassing care for us in accordance with his promises, or fear and anxiety that together demonstrate and flow from a lack of faith? In other words, we want to put our energies positively to care about what is important and not to worry about what we cannot change. Then I suppose that's a a good uh, admonition for us now. I know that in our times there are those that are suffering more from an anxiety and things that aren't working well and things that are uh, questionable and what will the future hold and so forth. Well, uh, we don't know the future, but we know who holds the future. And it calls us once again to commit ourselves to God, doing all that we're able to do that He has enabled us to do, but leaving the ultimate outcome to Him and knowing that He does all things well. Paul goes on in chapter uh, in our verse 21, For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Messiah Yeshua. So, having indicated in the previous verse that he had no one else who had come to his aid and proven themselves to be faithful servants to assist him while in prison, Paul now gives the overarching characteristic of those who had failed to help him. They all seek after their own interests. We should understand that by stating they all seek, Paul is not saying that everyone who was engaged in carrying the gospel of Yeshua to others, had forsaken him. For instance, he's not thinking of men like Luke or Aristarchus, who were laboring with him in Rome, according to Colossians 4.10 and 14 and Philemon 24, nor of Tychicus, whom Paul sent to Ephesus, according to 2 Timothy 4.12. Rather, Paul is describing those gospel workers who were near him and who might have been available to come to his aid, but did not. 
he notes that they seek after their own interest and not those of Messiah. This harkens back once again to verses 3 and 4 of our chapter where Paul admonishes us to not only look after our needs, but also the needs of others. What does this require? It requires a humble spirit and the willingness to consider the needs of others as a biblical priority. You know, sometimes I'm just I, I, I'm thinking to myself, how often do we fail to consider what it means to obey what God has said? Has he not told us that we are to live our lives for him? Are we not to do all of our work, all of our pleasure, all of our entertainment, and all of it wrapped up in our lives for his glory? None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. But it ought to be our goal to become more and more what pleases him and what brings about his glory as we live our lives unto him. And others see us and want to know. And we have the opportunity to share with others what it means to walk in the Spirit, to know that God is with us and in us, and that He has promised He would never leave us, He would never forsake us. And no matter what comes our way in this fallen world, we can trust Him to be our Savior and our guide. And ultimately, we will be with Him forever. Do we have those thoughts in our mind as we work through our workaday world? The more that we do, the better we will be. And, of course, it means taking the Word of God and having it in our hearts, our minds, where we think, and being able to bring up those verses that encourage us and help us as we face various trials, as we I have various hardships or even questions. Uh, which way should I go, this way or that way? We seek the Lord and ask Him to give us the, the wisdom that we need to do what is right in His eyes. So when considered in light of the larger context, then it is clear that looking out for the interests of Messiah is fulfilled in looking out for the interest of others. Right? He says, don't just simply look after your own, but after others. Well, if we look after the needs of others, what are we doing? We're obeying him. Is that not how we find our own fulfillment? For what are the interests of Messiah? As the great shepherd, he cares for his own and aids them in all aspects of their lives. Most often he does so through those who are his and who therefore put a high priority on serving and helping each other. When we serve others in the Spirit and in the uh, obedience to the Lord, we are serving Him. It may also be that those whom Paul characterizes as seeking their own interests were fearful of persecution and therefore were distancing themselves from any association with Paul since they were afraid that they, like Paul, might be persecuted for their faith. I don't know. Are there those always who concern themselves with whether or not they'll be persecuted if they're known to be followers and believers in Yeshua. Well, it certainly happened in the history of the world, and it can certainly happen again. Are we preparing ourselves for that? How do we prepare for that? We do so now to put our whole life in His hands and live with that reality. I mean, I I don't know. It's hard for me even to imagine that Paul could be so confident in prison thinking that he may soon be executed. But the Lord told us that when we come into dire straits, when we come into very difficult situations, He will enable us. He will strengthen us to endure as we rely upon Him. That's why we don't need to worry about what we will do when such a thing might happen. He is with us, and He has promised, and He keeps His promises. The obvious question that confronts us as we read and study these inspired words is clear. 
How would we respond to the biblical injunction to care for one another in a time of intense persecution? If we allow even trivial things to overshadow a genuine commitment to serving each other, as the scriptures teach us to do, why do we think we would be willing to do so under the duress of persecution? In other words, if we're not practicing it now, why would we think we would be strong enough to stand up under real persecution in the future? I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, oh, woe is me and what might happen in the future. No, we have no idea. But we should prepare to stand firm no matter what takes place. And we do that by walking now, day by day, in ways to please the Lord and seeking His pleasure and seeking to give Him all of the glory. Thus, in this passage, the Lord is reminding us through these words of Paul to make an assessment of our own commitment to obey the Lord and thus to serve one another and to aid each other as we seek to be witnesses for Him in this fallen world. As He taught His disciples and us, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And how has the Son, Yeshua, our Savior, loved us? He gave Himself for us. But you know of His proven worth, Paul goes on to talk about Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. It's interesting, isn't it, that for those who have had, uh, unfortunately, have had very bad upbringing, they may have had a father that was not, they felt worthy of their allegiance and so forth. I always despair, uh, at least when I talk with people who have told me about the terrible things that went on in their childhood as they grew up with parents that uh, that simply were were not good parents at all. So when someone like that reads this verse, what does it mean that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel as a child serving his father? Well, I, it's so unfortunate that the enemy tears apart families by... Uh, tearing apart marriages and by tearing apart people in their fatherly or motherly roles. But I can say there are some of us, and probably more of us than I know, that that grew up with godly parents. I know Paulette's parents were very godly, and so were mine. And I can still uh, remember many, many, many times when my father and I would talk about the Bible and would talk about what it means and how we're to live it and so forth. And he was a sterling example of, of that. And I'm so grateful. I thank the Lord all the time for my upbringing. And uh, I've, sometimes I look back and wish I were a better son. But you understand the picture that we're to have. That a child serving his father is in the context of love. Love he receives from his father, from his mother, from his parents, and love he returns. He learns how to love through the love he receives from those of his family. Well, Timothy had been part of the group that originally went to Philippi with the gospel, according to Acts 16, and you can read uh, that uh, Paul had uh, Timothy with him, and was therefore known by some of those in the Philippian assembly. He already was known by them. He's already been there. Thus Paul reminds them of how faithfully Timothy served both him and them as they ministered among those who came to faith in Yeshua, having heard the gospel message. So when he says, you know of his proven worth, that's why. He already knows the Philippian community to a certain extent, and they're uh, acquainted with him. When Paul writes that Timothy was known for his proven worth, he uses the word dokime, which carries a primary sense of that which passes the test. There are other, the verbal form, uh, I give you there uh, too, dokimasia, uh, a verbal form or infinitive form to test, and is used only by Paul in the Apostolic Scriptures. Paul's the only one that uses it. The word group itself is also found to be used of purifying metals through the process of smelting in other literature, of uh, ancient literature. It means to be tried and tested by the fire. 
What is gold lasts. What is not gold doesn't. (laughs) Thus Paul's words indicate that Timothy had shown himself to be faithful even in the midst of difficult times. He had been proven. He had been taken through the fire, if we can use the metallurgy kind of an uh, uh, example. He had been taken through the fire and came out that which was gold or silver or what the uh, metallurgist wants to find by smelting the, the ore and so forth. Well, Timothy had shown himself to be faithful under pressure, under fire. Here we see once again that the characteristics of genuine faith is that ultimately the believer perseveres, striving to accomplish that which honors Yeshua and is profitable for others within the community of faith. That has to be our goal. You say, well, somebody might say, well, Tim, I'm not, you know, you don't know me. I'm not that kind of a person. Well, God has gifted you in one way or another to serve others. This is what the scriptures teach. Maybe there's just one person that needs your uh, encouragement. Start there. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone in your community that you simply can pray for and let them know you're praying for them. Who knows where that start will blossom? And perhaps you have other uh, talents and other ways of serving people that others don't have. But as we serve one another, we practice what it means to be united in the person of Yeshua. Well, Timothy, uh, Paul talks about Timothy that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Here we see Paul affirming the character of Timothy that he evidenced both fidelity and humbleness of character. He had received the truth of the gospel and of the scriptures as taught to him by Paul and remained faithful to the true message of the gospel not seeking to find his own way or finding a novel and new approach to a life of faith. His life and willingness to serve others was a clear and outward demonstration of the new man that had been birthed within him by faith in Yeshua. In Paul's testimony regarding Timothy, we are reminded of a significant characteristic that should be seen in all who claim to have been born again in Yeshua, and it is this. The heart that has been renewed by God's sovereign saving grace, will more and more be known as loving others. Seeking to encourage and help those who are within the believing community, while also seeking every way to proclaim the gospel in Yeshua to those who are lost in sin. If in fact a person has been brought to new life in Yeshua through faith in Him and acceptance of the gospel message, then surely they will desire to give the gospel to others For God has ordained that it is by the message of the gospel that he draws to himself those he intends to save. He uses us to bring about his purposes. You say, well, what happens if I fail? He'll find someone else to do it. But he gives each of us the ability in our own uh, capacities and in our own sphere of influence and the people that we know and meet and so forth. He gives us the opportunity to bring the message of the gospel. You say, well, Tim, how am I supposed to do that? Well, that's a good question. But the best thing to do is ask a question. (laughs) Ask somebody that you may be standing next to in a line, or maybe you haven't met before, or maybe it's a neighbor that you're just getting to know, maybe someone that's moved in. Uh, You can ask uh, the question of, oh, uh, do you go to church anywhere? And if they say, no, no, I don't go to church, well, then you know where to begin. If they say, yeah, I go to church, where do you go? And then where they go may be uh, telling you whether they really have heard the gospel or not. But you can begin to talk about what God has done in your life. You can begin to tell them what it means to seek the Creator. Even putting the question in their mind may help them begin to think, what should I do? You never know when you plant a seed what it will bring forth. But if it's God's intention, He may use that seed, whether you get to see the the full plant or not, to use that illustration, He may use the seed that you give to begin that process of bringing that person to repentance and faith in Yeshua. 
Paul talks about Timothy as he's like a child serving his father. Here Paul emphasizes Timothy's humble character, for rather than lauding to himself the position granted him by Paul to be his companion and co-laborer, he sought to serve Paul and to aid him however he could to encourage and help him continue in the work Yeshua had given him to accomplish. Thus, Timothy's humble character was in contrast to that of someone like Demas, about whom Paul later wrote to Timothy, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christian has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Well, forever it goes down in the annals of sacred text that this one by the name of Demas had deserted Paul was unfaithful. Now, we don't know. What did the Lord do with him later? We're not sure. So, in Timothy, we see an important truth, namely, that God often prepares a person for the work they are to do as adults by their upbringing as children. And I've mentioned my upbringing with my godly parents, and I'm so grateful for that. Surely, there are many times when children who were raised in an ungodly home having later come to faith in Yeshua, serve the Lord and His people in genuine ways. So I'm not in any way discounting the many that God has saved out of dire straits in their home life. But how wonderful it is when believing parents put loving and training their children in the things of the Lord so that they grow up both with the strength, desire, and ability to serve Him in their lives. Now, it doesn't always happen. There are very godly homes where there have been children who have rebelled. We know that. But we ought to do the best we can as parents and grandparents to help our children and our grandchildren know what it means to trust the Lord, to say, yes, God does exist. He has sent His Son Yeshua, and His Son Yeshua died for those who would believe in Him. And by His death, we are forgiven of our sins. And when that kind of faith wells up in the heart of a person, it changes them. Not always right away, of course, little by little, but it's a changing reality when we come to know the Lord personally and know that the Spirit of God is working in our lives. We read Paul's words as he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5 For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Well, surely mother and grandmother planted the seeds of the gospel in many ways, seeds which the Ruach HaKodesh brought to fruition by the gift of faith, forming a spiritual foundation upon which Timothy would one day serve the Lord in significant and fruitful ways. So once again, we see the value of family. And I just I hope this is an encouragement to all of you who are listening and those who may listening uh, late, later or listen to this after we're finished that it would encourage us. Not you know it's not a slap, it's an encouragement. Come on. Let's do our level best to plant the true seeds of faith in Yeshua in the lives of our children, our grandchildren and those that we have opportunity to meet. We are living in dark times, and in some cases they're getting darker. But remember that the light shines best and brightest in the darkness. So then, this paragraph ends with these two verses. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, speaking of Timothy, as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. It seems quite clear that Paul needed Timothy to stay near him, in order to get food and water for his own sustenance. Yet he assures the Philippian community that, depending upon how things turn out, obviously regarding the outcome of the trial, he plans to also come to them in due time. Here, in Paul's words, we once again recognize the dire straits in which he existed. While he hoped for soon a release from prison, execution still remains a possibility. Here, once again, we are reminded that Paul has already established the fact that he was fully relying upon the Lord to bring about his divine purpose, and that he was fully willing 
to receive whatever the Lord's determined plan for him would bring. He says, remember in chapter 1, verse 23, for to me to live is Messiah, and to die is gain. So when he writes, as soon as I see how things go with me, we may understand that, as one writer has put it, the result of the trial would probably become sufficiently evident some time before judgment was finally pronounced. So, he may hear that he's going to be released, but that release may not come right away. Or, he may hear that the execution is in the future, and therefore, when he is more aware of what's going on, he would send Timothy as soon as possible. He says, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. We cannot be absolutely certain how to understand Paul's words here in terms of whether he expects the hand of the Lord to spare him from execution or if he simply is expressing in very positive terms what he hopes will be the outcome of the trial. I think it's primarily that. I would paraphrase this, and I trust as the Lord wills that I myself also will be coming shortly. So, when he says, I trust in the Lord, he is simply saying, I trust whatever the Lord does is right. The fact that he says, I trust in the Lord, surely emphasizes that he is ready to receive whatever the Lord designs, even as he expressed earlier in the first chapter, verses 23 through 26. As Calvin explains regarding verse 24, he adds this too, lest they should imagine that anything had happened to change his intention as to the journey of which he had previously made mention. At the same time, he always speaks conditionally, if it shall please the Lord. For although he expected deliverance from the Lord, yet there having been, as we have observed, no express promise, this expectation was by no means settled, but was, as it were, suspended upon the secret purpose of God. I suppose for some of us that has been in throughout our lives difficult not to know exactly how to uh, consider the future uh, by way of plans. We don't know what the Lord is intending and so forth and so on. But this is the school of faith, <laughs> trusting him for what we cannot see in the future. So here once again, we are challenged by the inspired words of Paul that he too should be confident in the Lord that whatever he brings to pass in our lives, we will trust in him, for he does all things well. And I've just, uh, this old hymn came to mind, and so I put it here as a, as a final. My times are in thy hand, my God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I leave entirely to thy care. My times are in thy hand, whatever they may be, pleasing or painful, dark or bright, as best may seem to thee. My times are in thy hand. Why should I doubt or fear? My father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. My times are in thy hand, Jesus the crucified. Those hands my cruel sins had pierced are now my guard and guide. Well, I hope that that is uh, uplifting again as we consider the greatness of God and his promises to us. Okay, that's where we'll close off for tonight. Thank you again for being with us. And as always, I look forward, Lord willing, to be with you all next week as we continue our study in this epistle of Philippians.